Hey, everybody. So uh, I believe we are now live. Let's go ahead and uh, help Melissa here. I've got her moderating my nonsense. And uh, so I'm just setting up a couple windows for her. There we go. All right. Can you guys see and hear me okay? Test, 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 one, two. We all good? Everything tested okay earlier? Just uh, somebody comment. Let me know that, uh, that we're good to go. Yes. Excellent. Hey, UK. All right. Bronx. Wow. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Alex. Hey, glad you could join. All right. We are doing this thing. We are live. We are doing our weekly Q&A this week. And I wanted to do this to try to give some folks from Europe an opportunity as well. And of course, I actually had the show all ready to roll. Um, I had the questions done. I filmed it. But then um, when I went over to edit it, it, turned out I didn't have the microphone turned on. So the mic from the camera was what was picking it up. And the sound was just awful. And I just went, I'm not going to do that to you guys again. I'm not going to do that. So uh, here we are. We're doing it live. And uh, I am here to answer your questions. And my wonderful, beautiful, amazing <laughs> wife, Melissa, is here to help me moderate the questions. But if you guys have any questions for her, um, go ahead and throw them in the comment section or in the in the box because she's uh, moderating that and she will be more than happy to answer your questions as well. All right. So we actually started out with a couple. I'm going to dive right into this. Let's see. Who do we got? Uh, wow. Washington, New Zealand. My goodness. Utah. Excellent. You guys are awesome. Global Capitalism HQ. Hey, John P. All right. Um, wow, New Zealand. I just I just love having this channel sometimes and just being able to talk to you guys. This is just so fun. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we get into it? Some folks have already started asking me some questions, and this is a Q&A show, so let's do it. Um, oh, first off, I wanted to um, really, really plug... This book, you know, I got all these books back here, and now I'm finally reading them. And <laughs> this book, Incognito by David Eagleman, this is good stuff. Uh, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. Nobody paid me to say that. I just uh, got so much out of that. And some other books I've been reading recently, like The Righteous Mind. And um, now I am reading um, some uh, persuasion, negotiation type books. I'm sort of getting into that direction a little bit, taking a little segue on that because a lot of the material by the top, top authors on those areas uh, deal with emotion and our uh, biological reasons for responding to things and social reasons for responding to things and stuff. And all of that feeds into my research for why people get into cults and why and how to get people out of cults and destructive groups and high control groups and stuff like that. So it's all, it's funny how, the, where the research takes me and how much fun I'm having doing this and, and uh, getting all this research done so I can pass it on to you guys is, is the whole point of it. So, all right, here we go. Um, polymath, what happens to folks who were never in Scientology? Do they reincarnate as body thetans or do they only have one life? Okay, polymath. No, um, non-Scientologists are just like Scientologists in terms of the death, life, birth, rebirth, you know, death cycle. Um, they're all just caught up in it and they can't escape from it or get out of it. That's what the, the thing about Scientology is we're, we're all on this sort of rotating door system of life that we've been on for trillennia. And the idea with Scientology is it's sort of your, you know, e-ticket out of this whole thing, right? So you get this wonderful ride out of this trap, but everybody else is still stuck in it. And that's that's basically how Scientologists think about non-Scientologists. Uh, John P., I would love to hear more about the flat earth crowd. Do they eventually come to their senses? Um, well, some do. I mean, I was never a flat earther, but I was a deep state conspiracy theorist when I was in Scientology and, of course, a deep conspiracy theorist. And as I laid out in my video about why people get involved in conspiracy theories, those are almost all deeply emotional reasons. And whether it's a traumatic episode, whether it's a midlife crisis, whether it's some crisis of faith that hits them, whether it's, you know, there's, there's different reasons for it, whether religion, 
And we all know that, um, you know, emotions, the thing about emotions and emotional decisions are that they change. <laughs> You know, uh, the facts are always the facts. They never change, right? But our emotions go up and down. So our our relationship with those facts is constantly in flux and can constantly change. And, you know, a real good intervention is an effort, for example, to get a person to more calmly and rationally look at their beliefs and ideas rather than be all emotionally charged when they're looking at them. So people can sort of do self-interventions too. It happens. I mean, I guess in a way I did. And they can make profound changes in their beliefs and, and ideas as a result. And that does include people who are all in on conspiracy theories and people who are all in on flat earth and stuff like that. Um, generally speaking, though, they would never, they unless they are a fairly introspective person who's used to looking at and dealing with their emotions in a healthy way, which unfortunately a lot of conspiracy theorists are not, they are probably going to need a nudge or a push in that kind of direction. And uh, that's where interventions and stuff come in. Uh, or another major life situation might strike them that might cause them to re-examine those beliefs. Um, as we've gone over many times with people who are hardcore Scientologists, once they get disconnected or once they realize something's wrong, they, or once they get like majorly ripped off and they lose their house or something, they start re-examining their emotional commitment to that belief system and they pop out of it. So that's, that's the best off-the-cuff answer I can give you. Uh, let's see, what do we got here? Raymond, uh, Raymond Vanderstedt. Can you tell me something about auto Aleb? I cannot. I do not know what that is. I've never heard of that. Uh, sorry, just being honest. <laughs> oh, hey, here we go. One for you. Okay. All right, get over here and answer this. This is a good one. <laughs> so what are my favorite movies that Chris hates? I don't know. We like a lot of the same thing. Um, <laughs> There was that movie, no one's heard of this but me and like three other people, but um, called Make Out with Violence. Chris hated it. He That's really, really, yes. really hated it. <laughs> that is true. It's that a was a zombie kinda... movie, but there's only one zombie in it, but there's a great zombie movie, and he hated it. <laughs> I did. It's true. <laughs> Actually, that's probably really about the only one you've ever really, really liked that I was like, mm, yeah, I can't think of any other ones. Not too many others. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Johnny B. Val. Hey, glad you made it, Johnny. I was trying to answer your questions about the timing, so I'm glad you uh, figured that out. Chris, what are your thoughts on Nicole Kidman being banned from Connor Cruz's wedding? Also, do you think Shelley Miscavige might show up at the Cruz wedding after the Inquirer story of a recent pick? Um, okay. Didn't see the Inquirer story, but, you know, it's the Inquirer, so I don't even know what they were showing. Um, my thoughts on Nicole Kidman being banned. My initial immediate reaction to that was sort of a visceral response against Tom Cruise because, of course, he would be the one calling the shots on that kind of thing. He... Behind the scenes of the entire Cruise family, if you guys don't know, Tom Cruise is king and lord. Uh, he dictates all the things that go on in that family, at least his immediate family. And so, um, so him, you know, deciding, okay, Nick can't come to the wedding. Well, of course he would say that. Uh, that comes straight out of his Scientology beliefs, of course. And that's just kind of standard narcissist Cruise, as far as I'm concerned. I really wish there was some way I could get across to people what like, you know, like what this guy's really like in, in, in real life. But anyway, yeah, it's pretty bad. And as far as uh, the Shelly Miscavige being at the wedding, no, absolutely not. <laughs> if she wasn't at Tom Cruise's wedding, she ain't going to be at this one. No way is Shelly going to show up at this. Or Okay, let me put it that way. That's my prediction. I can be completely wrong, and actually, I'd be happy to be wrong. I'd love to see Shelly come out in public and verify and confirm that she's actually okay. Um, you know, that would that would actually be a, a, a feature, not a bug. That would be a good thing, you know. So, uh, but I don't think that's I don't think that's ever going to happen. So, let's see what else we got here. Um, oh, okay. Can you tell me? Oh, okay, okay. Oh, Raymond, can you tell me something about Avatar? Okay, and. Um, was it adjusting? Oh, okay. That's for you. That next one. Yeah. Okay, good. So can you tell me something about Avatar? 
Not a lot. I haven't done any deep dive research into it. So I'm only going to be willing to comment a little bit that I've what I understand it to be or what I what I've heard is that it's kind of in the same line as forum and est and those kind of things. But, you know, I'm, I'm making kind of uneducated statements here. So, um, yeah, I wish I knew more about that specifically to talk about it, you know, in detail. But I just haven't done the research on that one. Um, Okay, so what's this one for you? Um, how is it adjusting to Chris's life and his past? Um, oh, yeah, here. Why don't you come back here so you're in focus and you okay. can just sit down there. <laughs> I will give her the floor. <laughs> All right. Well, at first it was a little interesting because I didn't really know anything about Scientology other than, like, the South Park episode and the silly jokes I'd heard and stuff like that. So actually diving into it and learning what he went through was, I don't know, it wasn't hard to adjust to Chris. It was just more like hard to really contemplate that that kind of stuff really goes on. It was amazing. You know, I just was really surprised and kind of felt bad for him and, you know, just <laughs> was shocked by a lot of it. Cool. <laughs> I, um, do you want to comment at all in terms of some of what you've taught me? Do you, do you even know how much you've taught me? <laughs> About mental health and, yeah. and those kind of issues. I think, yeah, I think I've taught you a lot about mental health and how it's a, a lot better than Scientology makes that to be. Of course, it has its problems. It's not perfect. It messes up all the time. Its history is not so great. But, you know, it's it's come a long way. We're proceeding down a good path right now, I think, in a lot of ways. And I think I've shown Chris that it's okay, that therapy is a safe place, that it's okay. Not all medications are bad, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cool. All right. Good. We will trade places again. All right. Let's see what else we got here. This is kind of fun. Um, never done this back and forth before. This is actually enjoy. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Um, all right. Let's see. What do we got here? Uh, what was Hubbard reading? St uh, Stee asks, what was Hubbard reading when he created Scientology? I don't know. Um, however, I can, you know, a lot of people have done a lot of backwards uh, engineering of Scientology, Dynetics and Scientology, including me, uh, as to where, what, where was Hubbard deriving his material from? What were the sources? And we go all the way back to uh, Madame Blavatsky, New Age, New Thought Movement in the turn of the 1900s. Um, 1800s, you know, the mysticism and, and all that kind of stuff. Hubbard was, was drawing a lot from that stuff. In fact, according to a recent uh, podcast that a guy named George White, old OT8, did with Ron Miscavige Sr., um, you know, he actually went and read all of Madame Blavatsky and then, you know, was talking about the fact that Hubbard actually was quoting almost line for line, word for word out of her works. So uh, we know there's derivative work there. We know he um, took stuff from uh, ab reaction therapy and talk therapy and stuff, uh, Freud, Jung especially. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Carl Jung was actually one of the first psychoanalyst type psychology people to use uh, an electronic device, a, a, a skin galvanometer, a galvanometer. Uh, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, if I remember the dates right, um, they were using something, a very crude model of an e-meter, you know, back in the day. And Young was doing word association with it and pulled the plug, said this isn't useful. Uh, well, that didn't stop Hubbard years, decades later from doing the exact same thing with the e-meter that they devised. So there's derivative uh, elements there. And um, I just recently got turned on to a couple other books that might be that might have some clues as to where uh, Hubbard got some of his material from also. And he also was, uh, let's not forget that Hubbard was also shameless about just taking things that people told him about. So there were a lot of developments through the early years of Dynetics and Scientology that were test driven by other people who came up with their own independent ideas about how Dynetics could work better or how Scientology could work better. And then they fed them to Hubbard and he would just start lecturing on them. And only in the very early days was he actually assigning credit to those people. After a while, he just started making it out as though he was the one coming up with that stuff. And that's why I make the claim that Hubbard was a pretty shameless plagiarist because that's how he operated through all the decades of Dynetics and Scientology. 
Uh, all right, let's see what we got here. Uh, Trumpy J, why can't they get the likes of Monique Yingling for lying? She knows damn well she's lying. You know, you're absolutely right. But if the media won't confront her on it when she comes out and does the PR spokesman task uh, that Scientology is paying her to do, then, you know, lying's not a crime. It's just a lie. But so it's, you know, just kind of run of the mill usual stuff for these destructive cults and politicians and things like that. So we really depend on our, our what is that, the fourth estate, the media? Is that, is that is it fourth estate, fifth estate? Anyway, whatever the yeah. the media. We really rely on the media yeah. for, you know, to, to hold these guys accountable. And when they don't do their job, it is extremely disappointing. And ABC News, for example, is is completely just you know uh, bootlicking Scientology every time they present some. You know, every time they're going to do this big story. And then Scientology comes and says, well, you better give our side. And then Monique, they trot Monique Yingling out or some other spokesman. And uh, and then they just kind of don't challenge the the statements that those people make. And, uh, you know, kind of sucks. Uh, Cheyenne, if someone in the LDS church gets offended when people say it's a cult, they know there are bad people there, but it's hard to see that. Are they stupid? <laughs> no, they're not stupid. I mean, they could be. You could be. You could be talking to a stupid person. But I'm not going to paint with that big, broad brush that that Mormons or Latter Day Saints or whatever they want to be called now are a bunch of stupid people. They're emotionally invested people, and uh, I think there's just sort of this. Uh, this is so kind of new and and uh, a, a new way of looking at belief and, and belief structures and how we form ideas and beliefs and, and decide on things that this hasn't really gotten out into the big wide world. And it's so easy to just insult a person or call them a name and then you don't have to think about it anymore, especially when you call them idiot, moron, stupid, gullible, whatever. That might be true, but that's not the whole picture. The reason why these people are so into these beliefs, despite the facts you can show them that should convince them otherwise, is because of that emotional investment. It's 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 overpoweringly strong. There's a there's a good advert. Overpoweringly, that was a good one. Okay, so let's see what else we got here. Um, Heine asks, "What are your suggestions to getting people out of cults?" Um, well, there's a lot. There's a lot of them. It's very individual. It's context specific. It depends on what group you're dealing with. The thing about getting people out of cults and something that I've really started considering a lot recently is, um, you know, you're, you're, when you're looking at doing something like that, you're looking at interfering in somebody else's life in a pretty significant way. And so you really got to know what you're doing and be sure that what you're doing is really the absolute right thing for them. Now, I'm not saying it's not or that you should be second guessing getting people out of Scientology or something. I'm just making the point that it is their life and they are making decisions and they are sovereign people who can do that. Right. Sovereign citizens. I almost said that. That would have been horrifying. <laughs> uh, anyway, so it's just something to think about. But in terms of uh, how you get people out. The main thing you need to do, however you're going to go about doing this, the main thing you need to do is you need to find out what that emotional investment is all about. And it's going to be a very roundabout trip finding that out because they're not necessarily going to know. And if they do, they're not necessarily going to be willing to tell you, tell you all about it right from the get-go. The reasons they think they're there might be very, very different from the deep-seated reasons that they are there. There could be some insecurities, fears terrors even that are keeping them there that they're not willing to look at. I mean, how many of us are willing to look at our deepest, darkest fears all the time, right? Much less tell some other person all about them. Doesn't happen a whole lot. So you're going to have to dig. You're going to have to like be willing to hear a lot of nonsense come out of this person's mouth before you're going to get through to the, the real stuff at the bottom. And uh, that can take days, weeks, months, it can even take years, depending on how you go about doing it. And the urgency of the situation, of course, would, you know, would have something to do with how, how you're going to go about it. But I'm talking about if you're a friend or a family member, I'm not talking about, say, a professional cult interventionist who would, who would do things a little differently in order to set situations up where they could get in and start talking to the person and have the person actually listen to what they have to say. The most important elements of getting somebody out of a cult situation are they have to be willing to listen to you. 
They, you have got to be willing to listen to them uh, much more so, especially at the beginning. It's talk. It's not talking. It's listening. And um, and then just kind of, you know, doing this negotiation strategy with them of getting them to tell you more and more about what their, you know, issues are with it, because you're going to want to find I, I'm trying to summarize so much data. Um, you're you know, you're going to have to find what it is they have issues or problems with and start working on that to pry loose, you know, other fixed ideas they have about the cult. And then, you know, once you pry them loose, then you can start feeding new information in there, new facts and evidence and, you know, info that they can then chew on and go, oh, I didn't look at it that way before. I didn't see that before. You know, that's when you know you're making some progress with somebody. So I don't know, like I said, I'm trying to crunch a whole bunch of stuff into a little tiny answer there. I hope that's helpful. Um, JB on the streets, are you going to come back an SP, Chris? And could you fall for LRH tech again after you wiped at implant station? <laughs> uh, no, no, and no. I'm not coming back as an SP. I don't know if I'm coming back at all. And if I do, it will definitely not have anything. I will not be involved with Scientology in, in any way. All right. Angel Hugger, I loved your recent free will podcast. Thank you. Would you please share what you think about how much personal responsibility people have in regard to their extenuating physical and psychological circumstances? Yeah, boy. Okay. You're not asking for much. Just a little, just a little question. <laughs> um, how much personal responsibility people have? Well, I am not yet convinced that it's all fully deterministic and we have no control and we're just a bunch of automatons, okay? When you start diving into this, the point of that podcast was not to try to tell everybody that there is no personal responsibility. I still think that we need to be held accountable for the actions that we engage in. Um, but those that the degree of responsibility that we should be held to should be tempered by the science and information information that we now have that can show extenuating circumstances that would indicate that the person didn't intend to do those bad, horrible, awful things that they did. And not in some kind of a faking it way. I mean, you know, people immediately jump to, oh, well, people just fake it. No, I'm talking about brain scans. You don't fake a brain scan. You know, if you've got a tumor, you've got lesions or something like that, those are the kind of extenuating circumstances I'm talking about because those, we know those affect behavior. In fact, those can even determine behavior in some circumstances. But it's, that's a fairly extreme case when we're talking about brain tumors and lesions and things like that. We still need to have a society and the society still needs to have rules and the rules need to indicate that we can hold each other accountable when we're not following the rules of the game. And the real question here is, well, how accountable? How accountable? Well, my my loose, loosey-goosey answer right now is um, accountable for those things for which you could be held responsible for in terms of your power of choice. Could you have decided differently? Did, you know, like, from a science point of view or, you know, like a biology point of view, could you have actually done something different there? And if so, okay, well, then there's going to be accountability. Probably not the best answer, but I'm just giving it off the top of my head. So I'm sure I will uh, revise and reform that as I go along here. But that's a general sort of idea of what I've got in my head right now. And I hope that answers your question is helpful on that line. Uh, let's see here. Boy, we're getting a lot of questions. This is good. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, I'm going to try to rocket through some of these. Oh, that's a great question. You want to, you want to dive in on that one? The, what are our hopes and dreams? Yeah. Well, yeah. We're going to switch places again. Oh I want my. more. I want to hear what Melissa has oh to say my. about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll uh, see. What are some of our hopes and dreams? Um, you know, someday to have a place of our own, you know, a house, you know, or something like that, a townhouse, um, you know, just uh, have, a good secure future with, you know, I don't know about kids, but we'll probably have pets, <laughs> <laughs> doggies and kitties and the like. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'd like to be doing something more creative career wise, you know, so that would be good too. And, mm -hmm. you know, I well, think you're working on a podcast now, right? 
Well, yeah, I, I did one episode and hopefully we'll be doing some more. So Right. And yeah. that's the Secular Hub podcast. Yeah, the Secular so Hub podcast. So it's not just yours. Right, right. Yes, yes yeah, I it's... am totally and shamelessly plugging this for her right now because <laughs> she's not doing it. <laughs> I was on one episode and hopefully I'm going to be on some more. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm very excited for her to be part of that. I really am. So... Yeah, so we 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 want to we definitely have uh, have some hopes of yeah. of getting her going in that direction as well as uh, continuing to grow and expand this channel. Mm -hmm. Cool. Do you have anything else you wanted to say on that? Well, you can you can okay. say your hopes and dreams now. Right. Well, I think people know. You know, I want to grow this channel, of course, and uh, I've got books to write. Uh, those are being outlined and worked on now, and um, and of course, finish this basics of Scientology series that I keep talking about, uh, and keep finding all this research to do, you know, and then, and then just to make them better, you know? So, uh, so there's that. And, uh, you know, yeah. And as far as the kids thing go, I mean, finances, houses, stuff like that, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Let me move you just a little bit oh, over sorry. here. No problem. Cool. All right. Let's see what else we got going on here. Um, getting out of calls. There we go. Do, do, do. Oh, there we go. JB on the streets. Did you really watch Battlefield Earth five times in one sitting? Um, over two days. I watched it three times in one sitting. And then the next day we went back on Sunday and I watched it two times. And after the second, after the fifth showing in two days, literally, I thought I, my head was going to explode. I thought my brains were going to leak out of my ears. I could not believe how dead to the world I felt. I hated that movie from the first showing, and I had to watch it four more times. Oh, God, I hated that. All right. What, what else we got? Um, oh, another one from Lissa. Yeah, Excellent. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Bring it. All right. So what is my favorite podcast that Chris has done? And what is Chris's favorite podcast that he's done? Mm -hmm. Um... I think the ones that he's been doing recently about, you know, the free will and the brain and everything like that, those are fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very interested in the brain and how all that works and personal responsibility. So. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. And um, it's really hard for me to answer what my favorite podcast episode was. I really, really enjoyed doing that interview with Leah. I had a really great time with that. I had an amazingly wonderful time, much more than I thought I was going to, doing a, a podcast of a couple months ago with uh, uh, a guy named Mark Horowitz, uh, where we just kind of sat here live and talked, and that was a lot of fun. Um, but I, th I think, uh, oh, and and the Trump one, the three-hour one, <laughs> the one where I went through like the entire data trail on on Trump's criminal finance and 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 campaign stuff and the people he had he had had come on to his campaign and the, the the Russian connections and stuff. People can talk about how it's all fake, but it, it's not. The, you know, the, it's documented. The objective the, the the objective facts are what they are. Does that mean that Trump knew all about it and all that? No, of course it doesn't mean that. I'm not trying to put more there than what the facts show. And that podcast was my effort to try to lay out all those facts. So I'm really not trying to be political. And especially I'm really trying to get out, get away from it now because it's just so such a stupid thing to be caught up in. But um, uh, but those were I think those were my favorite the favorite podcasts I did. OK, let's see what else we got here. Um, uh, Shelly. Beeb asks, have you had any problems with independent Scientologists criticizing you? I haven't had any problems with it. Yes, it's happened. Um, I have also criticized them. Uh, so, you know, tit for tat, I get it. I'm not, you know, somebody who's uh, who's going to be liked or admired in the independent Scientology camp. And I'm not trying to be because my views on it are very, very clear. I do not endorse any part of Scientology and I never will. So uh, I and I know what I'm talking about. This is the one area in my entire life where I get to say with authority, I know what I'm talking about. So when it comes to independent Scientologists, I just go, guys, come, you know, like, what are you doing? I mean, even if you're going to keep doing some of Hubbard's crap, why do you keep insisting on calling yourself Scientologists? You're not. You're not doing 
Scientology. You're doing something else. I mean, Hubbard would be the first person to say that. So anyway, whatever. I haven't had any real problems with them other than when I go rile them up or sometimes they come and rile me up. Mostly on Reddit, actually, is where that happens. And I've decided now that I'm just, it's not my game. It's not what I got into this for. And it's not what I, what makes me happy. It always, I'm always filled with regrets when I get into online arguments with people. I hate it. So I've just kind of decided I'm going to leave those guys alone and they're just going to do what they're going to do and not bother me too much. And that's that. Uh, let's see. JB on the streets. Do you, um, DM could be LRH's secret. What? <laughs> Do I think David Miscavige could be LRH's secret child? Uh, no, I think he's very much Ron Miscavige Sr.'s child. They are, they're the physical resemblance is unmistakable. <laughs> LRH's love child. Uh, okay. John Pear. Will we ever see a season four of Scientology in the aftermath? No. I do not think that there is going to be a season four. I've I've not I don't have any secret knowledge. Okay, so don't don't quote me as though I know more than I do. But based on everything I do know and how the production went on season three and and everything else that's going on and the projects Leah's now working on, I don't think season four is is going to be a thing. However, again, I could be absolutely wrong about that. So take what I said with as many grains of salt as you want. All right. TLC Timbo, is that the name? Yeah. TLC Timbo is. Okay, It is it typical for a person who is public Scientologist for 25 plus years and finally goes to goes on to become staff to have not yet even reached the state of clear? What the heck I know of such a person? Yes, it is all too common amongst Scientology staff members, long-term staff. Um. Over the, you know, a lot of the long-term staff, it's, it's, it's hard. I'm kind of running percentages in my head right now. This is all anecdotal. Um, a lot of the staff that I in, interacted with over the years who were long-term staff had a spouse who was doing the work, who was being the income breadwinner producer, right? And they were then doing the volunteer work down at the church and running things and being an executive at the church. So if their significant other was able to pull in some real money and pay for their bridge, then those staff members would move up the bridge. And that was how they generally became uh, clears and OTs, as they had to end up paying for it. I did get to clear as a staff member in Santa Barbara. Ironically, when I joined the Sea Org, where I was full full time and had nothing to do but Scientology all day, every day, I did not make one ounce of bridge progress for 17 years. So, you know, it's it's not just the staff, it's also the Sea Org. It has a lot to do, frankly, with the individual's initiative to get up the bridge and overcoming all the internal problems that exist because it's not just a matter of you pays your money and you get your auditing. There's all kinds of hurdles you have to jump over in order to get up the bridge in Scientology. So, um, so I can say, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get any bridge for 17 years because it is absolutely factually true that no one cared to try to get me up the bridge during that time. Nobody ever made any real efforts to do it. Um, well, there was one time and then I ended up on the RPF. So, okay. But, uh, uh, so that was one, I got one session <laughs> and then I ended up on the RPF. So that didn't really pan out so great. Um, and I basically had given up at that after, right after that, and uh, and so for the next eight years, no bridge progress. So yeah, that's that is an all too common situation in Scientology. Um, were you involved in the skeptics community? Oh, that's is that for you? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay, yeah. Johnny's asking you a question. All right, let's okay. uh, let's go to that one then. You guys are asking a lot of great questions, by the way. Thank you for all this feedback. And I'm 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 taking probably too long answering some of these because some of these uh, we're getting a lot of questions in and yeah. this is really good. <laughs> so I'll try to speed up. All right. So they are asking, where did it go? Okay. So Mel, you met Chris at a dinner. Were you involved in the science or the skeptics community or did Chris charm you, suck you in? <laughs> um no, I was already basically in the, the skeptics community, atheist, agnostic kind of community before we met. That's how we met, basically, was at the secular hub where all the heathens hang out. So That's right. <laughs> cool. 
All right. JB on the streets asks, is it true OT3 has got nothing on a history of man? Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, L. L. Ron Hubbard wrote a book called A What to Audit, which became titled A History of Man, uh, the you know antediluvian uh, technology or history or whatever. Um, and that has claims that are really quite outrageous, including claims about Piltdown Man, which was an archaeological hoax that was perpetuated on the public in the early 50s, I think, which Hubbard incorporated into History of Man as though it was the latest and greatest scientific research. And there it is. And see, we validate the, the Piltdown Man with great big teeth and everything because we recalled in our auditing that that all happened. Now, it turns out it was a big hoax and it never happened. Oops, you know, a little red face there. So, uh, yeah, History of Man's got some pretty crazy, ridiculous stuff in it. I highly recommend looking at it. There is nothing confidential in it. Any Scientologist can open it and read it anytime. Uh, verse Sung. Chris, do you have an any... What? <laughs> I have an any... Somebody's asking me about my belly button. Yeah, okay, it's an any. And no, I am not showing it to you. Uh, Tamara asks... Oh, this is for you. Uh, oh, well, you kind of answered this. Well, yeah. anyway, yeah, go ahead. So she asks, how long have you been married and do you have kids in your future? Um, we've been married almost a year. It'll be a year in May. Mm -hmm. mm, we probably don't have kids in our future like we were talking about earlier, money-wise, and we're both getting older. And <laughs> I am 49. Yeah. I mean, I'm 49. <laughs> I have a grown-ass son on the other side of the planet. He's doing great, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. What else we got here? Oh, another one for you. Okay. Um, do, oh, yeah. So they say, uh, Angel Hugger. Melissa, do I remember correctly that you play Magic the Gathering? If so, what kind of decks do you like to play? I like green, black. Um, I do like black as well. I also love white. I built a life deck a long time ago that I still love. And it's it, an insane <laughs> deck. Insane. She's got cards in that deck from 20 years ago, and well, we still not play that it. Old, but yeah, it's it's old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's some powerful, crazy powerful cards in yeah. that deck. You've got like uh, things like if you have 40 life or more at the next turn, you win the game. Yeah. Which Stuff is like not that. hard to do with that deck. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, white and black and red are probably my three favorite colors in magic <laughs> cool. all right somebody's asking what my funniest scientology story is that i remember i'm gonna have to think about that i don't usually think about scientology in terms of the funny there were funny times there were good times and uh and i'll see what i can uh, dredge up on that one um <laughs> deborah asks chris regarding your t-shirt do you really think there is a cure for stupidity here um <laughs> I'd like to say yes. I'm a very optimistic person. I'd like to think that we can, you know, lift people up, do better. I think we can. Um, but no, I, I, I don't know that there's ever going to really be a cure for stupidity. I mean, people come into the world with all sorts of advantages and disadvantages. And some of those disadvantages for some people, unfortunately, are that they just are not able to easily put things together mentally. They have other skills or assets instead. So, um, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. Maybe um, maybe we can make better progress or faster progress, though, by recognizing some of the things that we've been clinging to for all these years that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, where we like to throw all these stupid, gullible, idiot names around at people when, in fact, we're just completely misidentifying what the actual problem is. And maybe we can do better with that. And that's, a, that's I think, a direction we can all go in and, and do something about, even if we can't do something about what is the state of affairs in other people's heads. Flint, read. Hey, Flint. Uh, what does he ask here? John Ronson's book, The Psychopath Test, has an interesting run in with some Scientologists wondering if you had any chance to read it. Very interesting. I have not read The Psychopath Test. No, I've heard about it, um, but I have not read it. Uh, let's see here. Where are we at? There we go. 
Have you had a professional hypnotist put you under to see what it's like since leaving? Kiva Go asks. No, I have not. It didn't even occur to me to do that. I've had uh, some therapy. I've done that. So I definitely have some uh, uh, both uh, online, on phone and in person. I've done some therapy. So I know I, I know a little bit more about that whole thing. But as far as hypnotism goes, no, I haven't. Funny you ask, though, because I do have the Oxford book on uh, on hypnotism. I think it's the Oxford Authoritative Guide to Hypnotism or something uh, on hold at the library right now, which, uh, according to John Atack, is the definitive and authoritative text on the whole subject of hypnotism. So that's about as uh, deep a dive, I think, as I can do into that. I'm not planning on going and getting hypnotized by somebody. Might end up doing an office space scenario where they end up dying in the middle of hypnotizing me. And then I come back and I never make another video again because I just don't care anymore. <laughs> that would kind of suck. Uh, let's see. Uh, John Jones. Oh, this is for you. Great. I love all these questions. Coming <laughs> at you. This is awesome. So he says, Melissa, have you seen Battlefield Earth? And do you think it was awesome? I've never seen it all the way through. I've seen the previews and I've seen parts of it, and none of it appealed to me at all. At all. And from what I've heard from Chris, it's just not even worth my I'm time. not showing it to her. <laughs> like I'm not doing it. And he showed me the Star Wars Christmas special. So let's. We, I've seen some bad things. Yeah. <laughs> there are some things you can't unsee after you've seen that. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Let's, let's try it again. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, question. Oh, Seven the Wonder Cat is in the other room. The You know, I should rename him Seven the Camera Adverse Cat. He just, man, he just will, will not get in front of a camera. Uh, but no, he's around. We might uh, We might force him to come in here later. Uh, are you guys happy with wild card playoff spot? I do not understand that question. I don't follow sports at all. So if that's a sports question, not, uh, not really tracking. Um, I did not see Johnny V asks if I saw the Ron Miscavige podcast today with Mike Rinder. I have not seen that yet, but I plan on watching both, uh, both parts of that. Um, Heine, do you have any further info about the murders at Scientology this past month? No, I do not. I've been looking. I've been trying to keep up on what's going on there. And the information coming out of Inglewood on that whole issue is uh, definitely lacking for all of us. You know, how did two cops get shot by a guy who's apparently wielding a sword? This is a big question right now. I, just, I still haven't seen, found the answer to that. What went down? Was he being regged inside or was he somebody who randomly showed up in a white Bentley. I mean, there's so many questions and no answers here. So my only real statement about the whole matter is that I uh, obviously have said before, I will say this again, because it needs to be said that I am not in any way, shape or form okay with anybody advocating or executing any kind of violence towards Scientology or Scientologists as a sort of way to get back at them. And um, if this was a Scientologist who had some kind of psychotic break or something, that is very, very tragic and unfortunate. And of course, would just, you know, sort of reinforce the things we talk about here on this channel. And if it's some other issue, okay, then it's some other issue. Um, but we don't have, we're pretty sure at this point, according to what Mike Rinder was writing on his blog, that it was not some disgruntled YouTube watcher or something who went and decided to take out some vigilante justice on Scientology. Uh, we don't want any of that, right, at all. So, and I, and I make a point of being very blunt about that because I don't want any insinuation or innuendo or anything like that, or there's no nudge, nudge, wink, wink going on on my channel. Don't do it, right? I'm not down with that. So had to say that, but as far as any info about it, don't have anything more than you guys do right now. And as soon as I do, if I do get any, I will definitely pass it on to you guys. Let's see. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a question I definitely would like to know the answer to. <laughs> so Angel Hugger Me says, Melissa, does Chris really look a bit like Stony Tark in Stony Tony Stark blah, 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 in person? A little bit of me, he's got the beard, right? A little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. <laughs> That's well, right. Too bad he doesn't have Tony Stark's money, right? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> okay, you can go now. <laughs> 
I have actually, it's so funny you say that because I have cut myself short so many times from allowing my beard to grow out to be like a full Tony Stark beard because I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's see what else we got here. These are great questions. I love, I, you know, I love how personal the questions are this week. This is like, this is like totally getting into me and Melissa's life. I really like this. Uh, Kiva Go, in D&D games, why are so many dungeon masters <laughs> keen on creating a cult situations for players to escape? I have no answer to that. I do not know. I didn't even know that was a popular thing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old school D&D. I mean, I'm like 70s, 80s D&D. So for me, it's it's equipping up and going down into underground caverns and dungeons and kicking ass and taking names and coming out with the treasure. That's that's the D&D I'm most familiar with. Or, you know, when I stopped playing D&D, it was just after when I graduated high school, that was Dragonlance. And the, you know, and, and the, the, the drow scenarios and stuff. So there weren't a whole lot of culty kind of things going on back then. Um, and I, yeah, we, we started playing D and D more recently and it's been more that kind of style. Tamara, um, what, oh, there's a good question for you, Melissa. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So Tamara King says, Melissa, when Chris told you about Scientology, what surprised or stunned you the most? I'd say the RPF. I didn't know anything about that until I knew him. And I was just like, wait, there's this prison thing, but it's not really a prison. You can leave, but you can't really leave. <laughs> you know, Like that still surprises me. Like how, I don't even I like how they can get away with it because of religious freedom, I guess. But it just appalls me and depresses me I, that they do that to people and that's probably the thing that surprised me the most <laughs> big time big time <laughs> yeah all right uh let's see uh da -da -da -da. sid whittle aren't you guys having an anniversary coming up yes may 11th uh, 12th, 12th. <laughs> <laughs> oops all right uh cory pollock what percentage of scientologists are only in because of disconnection from family friends business partners or customers it seems that the policy is their best retention tool it certainly is one of their best retention tools absolutely their best retention tool is the hype up and getting people all you know like on the serotonin rushes those are the things that really keep people around but the disconnection is what keeps the fence sitters in. And i it's hard for me to say. This is all conjectural at this point. But for me, I think um, I would say, given the people that I used to know across the United States who were involved in Scientology at all the different organizations I went to, from L.A. to Clearwater, um, I'd say it's probably 40 50%. I mean that's that seems pretty high, but I'm I'd, I'd put that out there, you know. I'd I'd test the waters with that. I'd say about 40, 50 percent of people who are still in Scientology are only there, and have not come out from under the radar because of the disconnection policy. Yeah, because so many people in Scientology now are second, third gens, and that means that their family is in by definition. So, uh, let's see, Kiva. <laughs> Indie Scientology is to the Church of Scientology like vaping is to smoking. Uh, yes. Yeah. I would say that's a good good analogy. Uh, David asks, David, uh, boy, I don't I don't even want to butcher your last name there. It looks like a German name or an Austrian name. Wiegenstauer, something like that. Was Hubbard on the bridge himself or was he a special Thetan and never really on a specific level? Uh, is how far did he get something a Scientologist would ponder. Scientologists assume that L. Ron Hubbard got all the way up to the top of the bridge before he left, which means OT-15. That's as high as the bridge goes. And, um, and they all assume that that is the case. Hubbard did get himself through OT-3. He talked about it. He did get himself to clear. He talked about that. Not, not He didn't um, get himself, sorry, get himself to clear, but he, he talked about when he attained clear at St. Hill. And then he talked about, you know, of course, RJ67, Ron's Journal 67 is when he gave the briefing about the Zine, the OT3. And he didn't talk about Xenu, but that's what he was talking about. And then he continued auditing through the 70s. And Scientologists who don't know a whole lot about what was going on assume that he just kept researching and got all the way up to OT15. So that's, that's kind of 
best answer to that. Um, stop propaganda. What do you think uh, if the LAPD withdrawn tweet supporting the stand actions over the recent Scion shooting incident? I have not seen LAPD's tweets about that incident, so I couldn't really comment on it. Um, I guess I'll have to look that up. I, I, I haven't seen those. If you could, if you want to email me or send me a link or something, I'd be happy to take a look at that. Um, let's see here. Kiva Go. Chris, have you been interviewed by many people yourself? Who is your favorite interviewer out of those? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I've been on a number of podcasts and talks and stuff, uh, talking about this stuff. Um, hmm. I think my favorite person to talk to about this has been Seth Andrews. Uh, he's a he's a um, atheist podcaster, uh, the Thinking Atheist. Really, really smart guy, good guy, a, a good friend. I, I like hanging with him. I like talking to him. I think those are my favorite. Uh, I think being on his show was my my favorite experience as far as interviews go. Um, Raymond asks, "What specific Scientology site would you like to visit if you had the opportunity?" Ah, that's an interesting question. I never went to St. Hill. I would love to see St. Hill in the United Kingdom, uh, just to see it, you know, see the grounds, see the castle, see the buildings, because uh, so much of Scientology happened there. And it would still be kind of significant to me in a way to see it, not in a, not in like, oh my God, there's where Hubbard did this, and there's where Hubbard did that. Not for that, but to kind of line up the spaces in the real world with my mental images of how they are. I'd like to see how big Hubbard's research room was. I'd like to see the room he did his lectures in and see how many students were in there at a time. We've got some pictures, but they're few and far between, right? So that would be that would be kind of fun. I think that would be interesting. I've already been to Clearwater. I've already been, of course, through Los Angeles. Um, those, I think that's what I'd like to see. Let's see here. Um, was wondering if Marty Rathman's wife and child are now Scientologists, Heine asks. Henny, sorry, I keep saying Heine. Henny. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I butcher everybody's name. It's not personal. Please don't take it that way. I'm just bad with names. Um, I don't think Marty Rathman's gone back to Scientology and, call, and is calling himself a card-carrying Scientologist again. I just can't. I, I just don't think that's what's going on. Um, George Ann Rowe, Roy asks, why don't we revoke Scientology's tax exemption and let the Church of Scientology pay for Trump's wall? <laughs> Good idea, George Ann. Uh, hey, Alex asks, did you two see Leaving Neverland? The behavior and way of telling their stories of the two alleged victims struck me very much in the way it resembled people waking up from a cult. Um, I did not see Leaving Neverland, but I totally get the flavor and, and idea with your question there. And again, I will say that, you know, cults, destructive cults, or at least the kind of them on the model that we've been discussing so much of on my channel with a leader, leadership and followers, it's an abusive relationship first. That's what defines the cult paradigm. So, you know, leaving Neverland, was there abusive relationships there? Uh, well, apparently so, according to the testimonies. And so there would be all kinds of parallels there. Uh, and any questions you guys might have about that, check out any of my podcasts that I've done with Rachel Bernstein, where we talk about this in all kinds of detail. Uh, let's see here. Oh, we're coming up on an hour. This is going great. Um JB on the streets, seriously, how did you handle the RPF and were you depressed? Yes, I was depressed. And I didn't even know I was depressed until years later after I got out of Scientology and was able to look back on what was going on. I was suffering from PTSD and I was suffering from depression. No question about it. I was literally washing walls and crying while I was doing it. I mean, I don't know what else you call that. And I'm not talking about like some kind of severe biological depression. That's not what I'm saying. I don't have depression that way. I'm saying that that entire episode was a pretty depressive episode in my life for a very long period of time. So if you can kind of differentiate what I'm what I'm talking about there. Um, yeah, it was bad. It was just not a it was not a good thing. The thing that got me through the RPF was at the time the the love that I felt for my then wife, who I was determined to get back to. 
and uh, my dedication to the idea that what we were doing was the most important thing in the world to be doing. Even if I was scrubbing trash cans, cleaning grease out of grease pits, um, you know, walking, crawling around with cockroaches and stuff like that, it was still the idea in my mind was that I was committed to this thing because I had made a lifelong pledge to it. And I truly believed that we had the answers to help everybody. And to me, you know, then and now, you know, the um, the good of the many outweighs the need of the good of the few or the one. I know I'm quoting Star Trek, but, you know, that's kind of how I have lived most of my life. So that's kind of how I got through that RPF program. Uh, let's see. Which episode do you propose to Melissa in? I forgot. Um, I, I, but she's on the, it's, but the, the picture is me proposing to her. So you will, you can find it um, back in the way, but I don't remember which number it was. Polymath asks, how is it that I heard a recording of Hubbard talking about the Xenu story? Was it originally not a secret? No, what you heard, if you're talking about what's been posted on YouTube, this is a lecture called Assists. Um, and that lecture is a confidential lecture within the world of Scientology. It is um, any of the things you hear posted on YouTube where Hubbard is ever talking directly about Xenu, whether it's the assist lecture or any other lecture, uh, are completely confidential. So you're not supposed to be hearing that. It was never supposed to be made public. And Scientologists do not have access to that information. And they will self-police so that they will not listen to that stuff off of YouTube or off of Vimeo or Dailymotion or any, any such site. Um, let's see here, Kiva. If you came back in your next life as a dog, what breed would you want to be? <laughs> and is that a breed Melissa likes? Um, I will say Cocker Spaniels because I know Melissa loves the ears. <laughs> uh, let's see. DV4864070N. 4, 4, 0, 0, Facebook. This week, we posted about how when people want to believe something, it's nigh on impossible to change their mind. However, it is possible to drop indoctrination, as you know. How is that? I wasn't trying to make the point on my Facebook post that it's impossible to change people's minds. What I was talking about there was my recognition of the degree of emotional investment that people have in their beliefs. And that if you are going to try to change their mind, you first have to recognize that. You have to recognize that they believe what they believe because they want to. That doesn't mean that they like the belief. I'm not, want and like are not the same things, okay? They don't have to like it, but they still have a desire to believe that thing. They're invested in it. And that investment is what you have to be aware of because this is why when we throw facts at people that contradict their beliefs, they just throw the facts right back in our face because as far as they're concerned, those aren't facts. They don't matter. Those pieces of information do not matter to them because the emotional investment is what matters more. And that's what you have to somehow get them to um, open the door and let you in. You know, I used to compare this to a kind of a, of a castle or a thought fortress is how I used to talk about this. And, and, I, and it's still a useful analogy. You can batter on those walls all day long with as many facts and well-rounded arguments that you want. But if you don't address that emotional investment first, you're never going to change hearts and minds. And I've made that mistake 10,000 times, which is why I finally twigged, oh, that's what I was missing, right? Um, and there's no magic bullet. It's not like this is the secret formula. It's just one more element that is a crucial, crucial element to why we believe and decide things. So hope that hope that helps. All right, we're going to have to start wrapping up. I'm, I'm going to try to push through a few more of these. Robin Cobb, how do you view the vegan community on YouTube who are bullying fellow vegans? Their behavior seems cult-like. Yeah, it is. I, I, I can't stand that crap. The, the people who start, you know, when, it, and it's not just vegans, okay? I mean, it's, let's not make this like all about vegans. It is the extremist mindset that I hate. When people get so into their beliefs or their ideas or, or their facts, because this works with facts too. You know, you can take a fact and you can run with it and you can go, well, if you don't accept this, then blah, right at them. And of course, how does that feel? <laughs> it doesn't feel so good. 
um, you know, this battering, this bullying that goes on with this stuff. I, I, I hate that stuff. Um, so that would apply to the vegan community as well. Just to, you know, okay, fine. You want to go eat sprouts or go run around in the fields and eat grass or whatever and, and never eat anything with a face. I don't care. I got nothing on it. Knock yourself out. But at the point when you are telling me that that's how I have to live my life and I'm a horrible, awful person if I don't, and I'm destroying the planet if I don't, I mean, come on, you know, could we maybe have a more reasoned discussion about this? Doesn't ha You don't have to do that to, to change hearts and minds. And in fact, that's one way guaranteed to not change hearts and minds. Uh, Askery Navarro, what's up? Uh, hope you're doing great. Also, I have a fun question. Would you consider getting another tattoo? And uh, he's saying hi to you. Yes, I, there is another tattoo I want to get here. I want to get a tattoo that says, why so serious? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure the design out because I want it to not be right out of Batman, but at the same time, give a little call back to it. Uh, Jen Cove, I want to know if you still talk in Scientology's slipping up here and there. I have only noticed that a couple times recently. It still happens, but very, very rarely these days. And only when I'm right on a Scientology topic that I'm talking about. I don't slip up in normal day-to-day -day conversation anymore. I don't even think that way anymore. Um, if anything, it's been harder for me to recall certain Scientology concepts the same way I used to think about them because my thinking has changed so much now. Uh, and that's on purpose, you know, so... Um, this guy is about 400 comments behind. I know it's a Q&A show. You guys can type a question in five seconds. It takes me a few minutes to answer it. So take that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. Um, still talking Scientology. Stars Christmas special. Da, 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 says all jokes. Have you heard Christmas in the stars? No, no, not heard of that. Um, Nerman, what's my favorite food? Sweet and sour soft chicken. Uh, Seven's favorite cat treat. Um, catnip. No. <laughs> no? What's green olives. Oh, green olives. Okay, good. <laughs> you should see him when he's on catnip, though. It's pretty funny. Yeah. And can Seven do any tricks? Yes, he can shake. He can shake hands. Um, so Scientology are basically atheists, correct? No, that would actually be a wrong view. A lot of Scientologists do have a belief in a creator or a God figure. They just don't necessarily happen to have a belief in a Christian God figure. Hubbard poo-poos that constantly throughout Scientology materials. So, um, so Christians who get into Scientology tend to change their views about it over the years as they hear what Hubbard has to say about organized religion. Fred Flogiston, you consider Scientology as typical American religion or at least shows some traits due having his origin in the U.S.? Um, typical American religion? I don't know if there is a typical American religion. 70-75% of Americans are Christians. I think that's the typical American religion. And Scientology is not Christianity. I would say Scientology is off the beaten path quite a ways. Uh, it has its traditions in new thought, in theosophy, and in occult practices. So pretty much off the beaten path. Tracy Hamilton, how was Church Scientology able to grant so much of Clearwater without some sort of pushback from the community? Right? I don't know. I mean, they held these hearings in the early 80s to literally warn the city council of Clearwater, hey, man, these guys are coming in and they're not messing around and they're going to take over your community. And they sat there and they listened to it and then they proceeded to do almost next to nothing about it. Uh, even after they got evidence that the Scientology had set up the mayor of the town. I mean, Jesus. Now, having said that whole rant... I'm not sure how much power the city council actually had to do much about it anyway. I mean, how do you prevent somebody from coming in and buying private property? How do you keep somebody from practicing their religion that's acknowledged by courts as a religion? How do you do that? I'm not totally sure. It's a, it's a difficult task. And I don't think the Clearwater City Council in the early 1980s was quite up to that task. So, you know, I'm not saying it was inevitable. I'm not saying it was their destiny. I'm not saying that there was nothing that could be done. I'm just saying it was a difficult problem to deal with. And they didn't deal with it well. And so now we've got 
basically half a clear downtown Clearwater owned by Scientology. And they definitely have their sights set on the rest of the downtown area. They want to own it all. And I, it looks to me like Tom Cruise is coming in and maybe even helping them with that effort at this point. Uh, okay. And then we have Angel Hugger again. Do you two have a funny story as a couple you could share or a funny story you are allowed to tell on each other? <laughs> I ain't going there. <laughs> not in a live show. I'm not. Uh, no, we're going to take that up later. <laughs> I don't know if you got anything you want to say. No. Okay. I didn't think so. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, uh, we're coming up on an hour, folks. We're going to wrap up here. You guys have been awesome. Looks like we had some troll action. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, this is, this is gone. I, there is no question about it. This is a record setting Q and A. I might've gotten behind on the comments or whatever, but um, we answered a ton of questions here. You guys were awesome. And, um, and I look forward to doing this again in about another five, six, six weeks or so. We can probably do another one. Uh, but Melissa did, could I get over here? You, this, this was our moderator extraordinaire this week. <laughs> she did great. I actually put her on that duty. This is the first time that she's tried doing it. And, um, and I think that's why this rolled out so successfully. So let me, um, let me put one more little plug in and, uh, and then we will be on our way. Guys, thanks for coming around and listening, watching, partaking in this. This was a lot of fun. Um, go ahead and continue leaving any questions, comments, or feedback on the um, on this show or on uh, other comments on my channel because uh, I will get your questions. I will take them up in future Q&A episodes. So thanks for coming around, and we'll see you guys next, next week. Bye-bye. Okay. Stop it. Okay.